Southside. Are you ready for some church? A Sunday morning praise party? We got Dan and Clay leading the way into the presence of God. Today. Oh, Clay nailed it. I'm just excited for the football season. So I thought we would bring some of that energy into church today. We are so glad that you're here worshiping with us here at Hillside. Worship team, take us away. So... I've been doing some thinking. I know. So one of the things that seems to be universally true is that people are born with a propensity towards religious belief. And you see this all around the world, right? Everybody's religious. And this makes sense to me because if there is a transcendent God who wants to have communion with us, then it makes sense that we would be designed to be responsive of that and to desire that. But something happens, interestingly enough, and it's happening more and more in our culture, where people deny the existence of that transcendent God, but they still have the religious urge within them. And so what they tend to do is they tend to then take that religious urge and place it upon all kinds of different things that, because they are not transcendent, are not worthy of being worshipped. And so you can make a religion out of just about anything, can't you? And we do this in our culture. Americans are very, very, very religious. It's just that a, a lot of people are worshiping the gods, little g gods of their own creation. So one of the real prominent ones of today, one of the new religions of today is living your best life, right? And this is touted by people like Oprah and... Um, People will say stuff like, oh, look at that guy. He's really learned to live his best life. And what that means is that you do careful self-examination of every area of your life. You discover which parts of it are not up to you know, the right standard. And then you strive to improve each area of your life until finally you reach the point eventually where you are exactly living your best life. Now, let me give you a little warning that if you set off down that pathway... It never ends. And you will always end up in despair and disillusionment. And why is that? Because how do you define best? It's very difficult, right, in this setting. So if best means money, I could always have one more dollar. If best means popularity, I could always have one more friend. And so, and it also involves this relentless self-examination. It's constant because I have to be in a panic all the time. If one area of my life is not measuring up, then I've got to fix it. It also involves looking at other people because if the guy down the street buys a sports car, then his best life apparently is better than my best life. And if his best life is better than my best life, then my best life is no longer best. <laughs> so maybe I need to buy a sports car. I call this, because she's one of the proponents of this, I call this, the uh, call it Oprah's treadmill of despair. <laughs> so I set off on this pathway, 
And the first thing I did is I Marie Kondoed all my possessions. <laughs> then I feng shuied all the remaining furniture. I'm on the keto diet, but I only eat Kobe beef and farm-to-table vegetables. I work out three days a week. I, I volunteer at the soup kitchen on Tuesdays. I am getting my life together, you see, in every area. And so at church this year, I've decided that what I'm going to do is be in two small groups instead of just one, right? <laughs> I'm finally going to learn how to speak French, and I've figured out how those darn filters on Instagram work so I can make myself look as good as possible. I got my kid a biology tutor because I figured out, and this is really important, that if he wasn't living his best life, I couldn't be living my best life as a parent. The function of my child is to enable me to live my best life, you see, not to put any pressure on him or anything. I'm happy to report that the numbers on my bathroom scale are going down and the thread count on my sheets is going up. Yes. Someone asked me, why are you behaving in this extraordinary manner? And I said, I'm trying to live my best life. Well, how's that working? I'm exhausted. What do you think, it, you think you're ever going to get there? And I don't think I'm ever going to get there because I didn't even know all the ways I, that I could improve until I actually started on the treadmill. And then as I would take one step, I would discover another way that I could get better, and it never seems to end. Yeah, but isn't this whole deal, aren't you supposed to learn to be content? Isn't that part of living your best life? Yeah, but the trouble with that is that I can always get incrementally better at learning to be content. So, maybe there's a better way to live, yes? Maybe there's a better way to live. Proverbs says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. How about this one? This is, Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And isn't that what everybody is looking for, is rest for, their, for your souls? So the better way to live is to acknowledge that there is a transcendent God, and that transcendent God does want to have communion with us. And we are capable of responding to that transcendent God, and once we start living our lives in this manner, guess what? We get to get off of the treadmill. And when you get off of the treadmill, you realize that you are standing on solid ground. And so this morning, we sing. We sing to that transcendent God, don't we? And we sing praises to him, and we sing together, and uh, we, are, we are asserting a truth, but we are also humbly praising his name. So, um, let's sing, shall we? <laughs> and we have, we have uh, go ahead and stand up. We're going to stand up for this one, because it's going to be fun, because, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We have TJ with us this morning. 
gotta get in tune here, sorry. Tuning, very important. <laughs> Tuning. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Probably gonna want to clap on this one. Well, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing, I will sing, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord with my mouth. Thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness With my mouth will I make known Thy faithfulness to all generations I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever I will sing, I will sing I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever I will sing of the mercies on this goes like this. There we go. <laughs> I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. Oh, I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of mercies of the Lord with my mouth. Yeah. 
And I 
is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overfloweth. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Surely goodness and mercy Amen. Aren't you thankful we have a good God who is our shepherd, who gives us all that we could want or ask for? The world can't do that. So, okay, well, the world can't do that, right, Clay? <laughs> Only God, right, Clay? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's what Clay, what do you guys say? All right. Hey, there you go. <laughs> My name is Stephen Weisong. I'm the director of student ministries here at Hillside, and we have been doing something for our church lifetime where we're showing you something, some things that we've been doing and then moving into the things that we are 
going to do in the future. So I have the joy, I don't know how this worked out, but they said, talk about Edge and Riptide. The student ministry's here. And I, I just happen to be the director of student ministries. I just don't know how, it's the providence of God. It just sort of happened. So we kicked off a student ministry for the fall two weeks ago on a Thursday night, and we did an ice cream social and lip sync night. And to just give you a quick glimpse of what that night looked like, check out this video. have some very talented lip syncers and dancers in, in our student ministry. Last week we did a thing with students, we, we called it the Amazing Relay Race, and my favorite event, and I'll, I'll get a video, we'll show it to you, but we did a thing called indoor bobsledding, and we, we got students on wax paper, and they were pushing themselves across, it was really fun, it was a lot of fun. Lots of fun, lots of energy. Every year what I like to do, if you're wondering Okay, that's fine. You're doing all this stuff, but how can we be praying for students? Every year, what I like to do is I come up with a theme for our year. So this year, our theme is Confident in Christ. And what we're going to be going after with students is we really want to get them confident in their identity, specifically their identity in Christ. And so if you could be praying for our students, that they would be confident that they have been saved by Jesus that they would be confident in being a light to the world, and that they would be confident in having the ability to walk boldly and share courageously their faith with other people around them. So that would be amazing if you could commit to just praying for our students to have confidence in Christ. Uh, something else that we had this last week was something, it's really cool what we do. We celebrate the birthdays of the Hillsiders who turn 80 and older. Is that right, Jane? So we had a birthday celebration for the August and September birthdays. This is the crew, a fun crew. Yeah, milestone birthdays. It's amazing. So yeah, Jane, Dan was there. He was, he was there for the free food. That's why Dan was there. But uh, no, it's just a fun thing. I've been able to do that. It's so fun to celebrate the life of these amazing hillsiders. So coming up, switching gears, looking forward to what we have. I want to make sure I get all of these right. Okay, next Sunday, any 49er fans in the building? 49 there are not as many 49er fans. <laughs> Las Vegas Raiders? <laughs> All right. Well, well, Grant Freeman is a 49er fan. So, Grant, just want to let you know that you and all of your friends next Sunday can be here after church in the Student Center watching the 49ers play football. <laughs> right. 
Okay, yes, that's happening next Sunday. David Spaney, he is the one organizing, putting it all together, and he promises there's going to be A-plus food, A-plus friendships, and A-plus fun. Is that, is that right, David? Yes. Okay, good. I got it right. That was in my notes. Oh, yeah, right over here. Oh, it's not a men's only event. This isn't the little rascals. Okay, this... Everybody is welcome to join the 49er watch party. Okay, so, yeah. Coming up on October 9th, we did the rib cook-off, but that was our first time doing this. We are going back to the chili cook-off. I think this is the third annual chili cook-off. It's October 9th. Here's the deal. If you think you have really good chili, like really good chili, we can only take 10 cooks. Only 10. But we can take as many people that want to eat the chili as possible. So we are throwing a chili cook-off. It's going to be fun. All of the proceeds go towards, it's an organization called Love Never Fails. And so the chili cook-off is organized by our Compassion, Justice, and Missions ministries here. And so Love Never Fails is a trafficking organization that helps get people out of trafficking, helps support people who have been trafficked. So if you want to come and help a good cause and eat some good food and, and see who can win the best chili, I'm always interested. Who has the best chili? So that's October 9th. Also coming up, we have, uh, our, we have our, mission, our membership class, which has been postponed. So just want to let you know, be on the lookout for in the next coming weeks of what we're going to be doing to invite people to become members here at Hillside. But the September 18th membership class is postponed. And if you are interested in doing gardening with Kara DeYoung, she said to meet her 10 minutes after the service by the information table and grab a coffee and then you can go garden and learn about flowers if you're into all that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Flowers. <laughs> it always Steven, makes me... Steven, oh, yeah, yeah. Can men go to that? Oh, yeah. This, this isn't mean girls, okay? <laughs> men are welcome to play. I'm trying to pick movies that were... I don't know. <laughs> yes, you, Clay, are you going to go learn how to plant? Well, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, Clay's, Clay's going to be a gardener, so you can join Clay uh, for that. So, hey, what we want to do, we want you to stand up, greet the neighbors by you, tell them one thing that you learned, how to survive the heat. What is one heat-surviving life hack? Well, something else that we really enjoy doing here at Hillside, this is a long-standing tradition, we like to move into a time occasionally to do God at work. And so just for the next few moments, we're going to take a few people who, just if you are comfortable and you're ready, if you don't mind telling us, your Hillside family, how has God been at work in your life recently? So if you want to... Share, just raise your hand, I'll run the mic to you, and then you can uh, briefly share, so we want to make sure we can get to as many. Hey, you got to say it, right, Keon? Yeah. yeah.
briefly share so we can get to as many people as possible. Okay, boom. Got it work. First one. Here we go. Hey, I'm Becky Watson, and this is just this morning. Uh, the last couple of days, I've had some trouble grieving, and um, this morning when I got in the car, I just kind of felt, we talked this week in our Bible study about the Holy Spirit being with us, and I was driving here, I just felt like almost this present there with me in the car, that God's like, I'm still right here. Wow, Becky, that was amazing. Praise God. Hi, I'm Lisa McGinnis, um, and I need you guys to tell me how God is at work in this, because as a lot of you guys know, we support a safe house in Myanmar, and you guys, I feel like they've just been hit by one thing after another after another. There was the coup we haven't been able to visit. Now there's flooding, and as they were trying to get away from the flooding, they got in a car accident in the car that as our, fa our Hillside family bought for them years ago, and they were the center car. So it's the back and the front. So, you know, we've been talking about raising money to get their car repaired and stuff, but I feel like next it's going to be frogs and locusts, you guys. So I just, just prayer, prayer for them and helping us understand how God is working in all of this because it's tough. It's tough for them. On the upside, they are so, so full of praise for the fact that they have remained healthy, even though they've all gotten COVID. They're all back to being healthy, and they just feel God's presence through all of it. So um, anyway, just wanted to share that because I know that that ministry is a big part of everybody's heart here. So, I'm ready. <laughs> you know, sometimes when people hear from me, they say, you know, what is he going to say? I had an opportunity to really try to get closer and closer to God in this world that we live in. And what is the answer? And Jesus is the answer for the world today. Okay. And I had an opportunity to go to a secular event and I was speaking to some people. And all I talked to them about, I said, is love. And they said, you know what? I see some of your videos, and you, they're always upbeat and, and lifting up. And they said, you know what? I really appreciate that. And then I just said, and they asked me, we were talking about what the answer is. I said, what if we just loved each other? That's all God really asked us to do. Love him and love each other. Why in the heck is that so hard? <laughs> and so that's what he's been doing in my heart is just to love people. And so I ask these people, I says, what is the downside to loving each other? What is the downside to loving each other, caring about each other, getting, forgetting about ourselves and looking to others and esteeming them more highly than ourselves? Whoa, just think about that. Just to love each other. And I'll tell you something, if we did that, just one, and I've been trying to do this every single day, just go out and love somebody, open a door for someone, smile for someone. An elderly lady was trying to put, in her, uh, put some stuff in her car. All I went up to her and I said, can I help? She said, you know, I think I got it. I said, can I take the cart? 
And she says, yes. <laughs> Just a simple thing of taking a cart. Okay, so the only thing I'm gonna encourage you all this morning is just to love each other. Don't try to pre-qualify it. Don't try to find the best looking person, the person that you think is, is gonna like you and that you have some affinity for. Go to the person in the back, in the corner, someone that looks like they need a hug or need someone just to care for them and just to say, I love you. Hey, you know what guys? I love you. And as much as I love you, God loves you a whole lot more. I love when Tony speaks. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Just wanted to see how long you'd stand up there waiting, but you did a good job. I'm Jerry Templeman, and uh, I had a little incident a few weeks ago. And uh, the love shown by the congregation and the teamwork. You know, we talk about the amazing race. We have our coach, Pastor Dan, and uh, I interrupted his sermon. Uh, <laughs> And I, I didn't know, I knew what was happening, but I wasn't sure. And when I came to, there were people all around. There were people praying. There were people singing. Uh, and it, uh, I just, <laughs> excuse me. I usually talk too much, but now, <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to thank you all. But I praise be to God, yeah. because that. That's what it's all about. Hi, y'all. I'm Tim Brown. Um, I'm on council, and those, those are two hard acts to follow there. <laughs> Gary, we're so glad you're here. And uh, um, I just wanted to uh, offer a praise this morning, um, just a personal praise first for being here at Hillside and uh, haven't been here that long um, and it's it's you know it is a place of love and uh, if you're new keep coming back because uh, the thing you sense here is unconditional love um, and I just wanted to also offer sort of a, an announcement around this love I'm uh, the chairperson for the pastoral uh, care and development team. And a lot of you might be thinking, what the heck is that? Well, what we do is we meet with our pastoral uh, team members, our pastoral staff members, and we listen to them and we pray for them. Um, and we try to help them with their development as well. Uh, their their uh, careers, et cetera, encouragement. Um, so we'll be doing that. I've got some team members set up. I, I just wanted to let you all know about that. Uh, there's a number of things we're doing in council. And I, when Joy Fischler first asked me to be on council, I, was, I did one of these. Because I had only been here a very short time. Um, but it's been such a blessing to serve on council. I've, 
the, the love I feel from uh, my fellow council members is amazing. And I just want to encourage you to, if you have questions for us, find one of us and ask us. You know, we want to be really transparent for you all, okay? Uh, that's it. Thanks. All right, well, we know God is at work. Thank you for sharing at this point in our time together. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward. Uh, I like that Dan said, so they can ush. <laughs> I'm going to start using that now. That's, so, that's a fun word to say. Uh, they're going to come forward, and as they are passing the baskets back and forth, uh, I just encourage you to give. And what I like to say is you're not just giving to Hillside, you're giving through Hillside so we can advance our mission of being light in the world. So let's pray. God, on this day, September 11th, uh, more than 20 years ago now, we remember the horrific events that happened in New York, that happened in Washington. God, uh, I, I just was thinking about that. I, I remember, and I remember the scenes, but I also remember the bravery, the heroism, the dedication to run into burning buildings to save people, to dig through rubble to save people. I remember the unity that was shown across our country. God, I pray that it wouldn't be a tragic event that brings us as believers of Jesus together, but it would be your overwhelming love for us. And God, it is an amazing event that happened on the cross, which we could say is tragic, but the Bible tells us you looked forward to it with joy. How amazing is that, that your joy was enduring the cross so that we might find life in you. So God, I pray that we would remember that sacrifice, that we would remember that when we give, we're giving to tell about that sacrifice. We're giving to show people the gospel. God, may we give our gifts to you because of how generous you've been to us, but God, may we also give our love to each other so that we can show the world a shining light and reflection of who you are what you care about, in everything that you're doing in us to make us more like Jesus. So bless us as we give in your awesome, awesome name. Amen.
on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on Good morning, everyone. I am Dan Seitz, senior pastor here at Hillside. If you have a Bible with you now, would be a good time to pull it out and open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. You can also find the text in your message notes. And while you're turning to Luke 11, I'll share with you 
that recently I have been reading a fun book by a guy named Toby Wilkinson about the golden age of Egyptology. And I will say this about this book. If, just like our compassion, justice, and mission director, Randy Fishback, if your secret fantasy is to dig up millennia-old antiquities by torchlight while cracking your whip on the backs of Nazi thugs, you are going to love this book. I can already see Alan Pennebaker uh, opening up his Amazon app right over there. And like you, uh, I'm sure, you know, I'd heard of Ting King Tut's tomb, uh, but apparently, this is interesting, before that blockbuster discovery in 1922, the biggest archaeological find in Egypt after the Rosetta Stone was the Sarah Payam Monument found in 1851 by the French archaeologist Auguste Mariette. It was just an enormous subterranean Tomb. And I learned something really interesting, that for centuries, Egyptologists had known about this fabled find from ancient sources. The problem was that the descriptions were not detailed enough for anybody to locate it. That is, until Auguste Mariette picked up his whip and his fedora, and he went on the hunt. Now, to tell you the whole story of this historic find would take us down a dark tunnel from which a sermon from Luke might never emerge, okay? But to suffice it to say, it involved pouring over papyrus, bartering with Bedouin, map-making, midnight digs in sandstorms, and dodging corrupt customs officials. I mean, real Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of stuff. Now, here's where I'm going with this. When, late in the night on November 12, 1851, Auguste Mariette, candle in hand, passed through the limestone door into the Serapea Monument, a door that no one had darkened in 20 centuries and beheld the grand hall in front of him, he and everyone else entered a whole new world of Egyptology. And at that point, with his discovery, all sorts of scattered pieces of Egyptian history fell into place, and the field of Egyptology again exploded. Now, why do I tell you this story? Here's why. As apprentices of Jesus, most of us are aware of wanting to enter a whole new world of prayer. We know that prayer is absolutely central to our Christian lives. It's central to our own Jerusalem journeys. We know that prayer is the trail mix of that journey. Well, just like that limestone door was the passageway into a whole new world of Egyptology. So the passage we are looking at this morning is the passageway into a whole new world of prayer. Now, preachers love big talk, and I love big talk more than most preachers. But that last statement, it's not an exaggeration. Listen to what I'm saying here. If we, like Auguste Mariette, if we pass through the door 
of Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13, and verses 5 through 13 in particular, which is right in front of us. We do not need to brave sandstorms or poison darts to reach it. If we do that, we too can enter a whole new world of prayer. So here's the plan for the morning. First, we're going to do a flyby of the first four verses. And these verses give us the four basic petitions, the four basic prayers of Jesus' followers. And then we're going to do something that will be my favorite part of the sermon. We're going to dig into verses 5 through 13 to discover what Jesus is saying about the style of that prayer or the spirit in which we engage in it. Sound good? All right, let's dive in, starting at Luke 11, 1 through 4. It goes this way. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is the Lord's word for us. For purposes of context, during his own journey to Jerusalem to fulfill his life's mission, and this is right after his visit with Martha and Mary, Jesus is praying by himself. And this is typical for Jesus. Luke in particular emphasizes how often Jesus retreated, got away from the crowds, and engaged in loyal, loving listening to his Father. And of course, that gets our attention today as modern-day disciples, because Jesus is our model for life. And Luke tells us that one of the disciples asks Jesus, to teach them all how to pray. And apparently this disciple points out that that John the Baptist had given his disciples a, a distinct prayer to pray, and this disciple wants the same thing for their gang. And apparently Jesus is actually pleased to be asked this question because he immediately launches into a lesson, and he gives his apprentices, and he gives us today a model prayer a template that we can use, filling it in with our own words. And our prayer as disciples, who are people on our own Jerusalem journeys, has four priorities. First, we disciples are to pray that God's name would be hallowed. And the Greek word here means to set apart or to treat as sacred. Now, This prayer, this first one, it might sound like kind of a tiny thing or a a technical point just to check off a list, but actually it's, it's huge. This one petition, this first one contains a world of possible requests, and we see why when we consider the Old Testament background. Now, I'm going to explain this kind of quickly, but stay with me because this is interesting, and this is important for understanding the big story of the Bible, uh, which is important for understanding all the smaller parts, okay? In Ezekiel 36, passage that was written hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, when Israel is in exile in Babylon, the Lord speaks, and the Lord says that he's concerned about his name. 
The Lord laments how his name has been profaned, how his name has been dragged through the mud, disgraced in the world due to something very specific, how his own people have lived, how his own light of the world people have lived. And instead of living, you could say, as bike reflectors of God's ways and God's character, they've lived like black holes. They've lived unloving, unfaithful, unjust lives with the result being that the world has been unimpressed with God, even looking down on him. That's what the passage says. And this is a tragedy for a lot of reasons, not least of all, because human well-being and flourishing is all wrapped up in being rightly related to the God who made them. But the problem is, if the world holds God in contempt, they'll never come to him both to give him the love that he deserves as the one who made us all and to receive all of the benefits that we get when we become his friend. And of course, the same thing is true today. You know, when we fall short of being God-like, which as my friend Dan Carl recently reminded me, means being merciful, gentle, peace-loving, upright in the way we use our power, wherever we might have power, generous, meaning when the freezer's down to just one scoop of fish food, we give it to our spouse and we choke down the vanilla bean, okay? That's generosity. But again, the point that the Lord was making then And what's true equally now is that when we fall short, actually the world gives short shrift to God. So what does the Lord decide to do? He decides to solve this problem. And in Ezekiel 36, 24 and following, he says he's going to do something amazing. Soon he's going to regather his people and then he's going to re-spirit them. He's going to give them a new operating system so that they can finally reflect him in the world so that God's name and reputation can be rehabilitated and so that the world will come to him and be healed. Well, what's the upshot? Here's what. Knowing now, as we do, how God intended and still intends to hallow his name, meaning to make it great in everyone's minds, and knowing as we do now that God succeeded in that plan through Jesus, specifically through Jesus' death and resurrection and the pouring out of the Spirit and the creation of the church. Knowing those things, we know now that to pray for God's name to be hallowed is to pray that we and all of our Christian brothers and sisters all throughout the globe, from Denmark to the Dominican Republic, would be who we are his light bearers, because that's how God desires that his name would be celebrated through our world-loving service to the whole world. And now do you see how big this first prayer point is? It encompasses every prayer that we pray for our church, every time we pray for each other to be the Jesus men and women, enemy-loving people, justice-seeking people. We hate unfairness wherever we find it. Truth-guarding people. Every skin color 
people, the people that Jesus died to make us. To pray for God's name to be hallowed is to pray for the church to be the church. Second, we disciples are to pray that God would give us our daily bread. In other words, disciples along the road like us here are to unabashedly pray for our most basic needs. Needs ranging from the food we require for the day to the wisdom that we need to untangle all sorts of complex relational knots that we find ourselves in to help on a math test. And that God insists on knowing what is deepest in our hearts is remarkable for what it reveals about his heart. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I sense in myself a reluctance to share my most personal concerns with God. An instinct to limit my prayer to the big things, the hillside things, the kingdom things. And just as we learned, we are to pray that God's name would be hallowed, that God's kingdom would come, which we learned happens as we all and our Christian brothers and sisters all over the world actually live our salt and light lives. But equally, we're to pray for matters, even though infinitesimal to everybody else, are immense to us. God says, Share them with me. Now, the writer Richard Foster, a great Christian writer, says that if we're hesitant to do this, or it seems out of order in some way, it might be because we've actually lost sight of Jesus, whom he says occupied himself with the trivialities of humankind. Listen to Foster here. Jesus provided wine for those who were celebrating, food for those who were hungry, Rest for those who were weary. He went out of his way to find the little people, the poor, the sick. And get this, he welcomes us with our 1,001 trifles, for they are important to him. And praying for our daily bread means sharing with God what most intimately and practically concerns us. Third, we disciples are to pray for the forgiveness of our sins. As we journey to Jerusalem, as we live the purpose of our Christian lives, God's empowering spirit in us notwithstanding, we stumble in a million ways, don't we? We make mistakes. We do selfish things. We do silly things. We do self-destructive things like trying to escape reality, right? Shopping or substances, you know, too often forcing our family members to make Carly Pierce's recent hit, your drinking, my problem, their soundtrack, right? To our great relief, our king recognizes, like the old hymn goes, we are prone to wander, even post-belief in baptism. But you know what he's done? He's given us a means of cleansing, and here's what it is. We simply confess we confess to him how we failed. And then you know what he does? He bathes us in release and renewal. And what's more, we seek this forgiveness as we extend lavish forgiveness and lavish release to the people who have failed us. And finally, we disciples pray that we would not be led into temptation. What this means is pretty surprising. The Greek word here means testing. 
And we know from several passages in Scripture that God uses tests to reveal the deep tunnels, the below-the-sand chambers of our hearts to spur further transformation. Nevertheless, very curiously and wonderfully, we're directed here to pray that in God's wisdom, he would spare us of these tests. And pretty surprising, but there it is. One Christian has thought deeply about this fourth petition, and he suggested that when we pray that we would not be led into testing, we're implicitly praying that there would be nothing buried in the sands of our hearts that needs to be unearthed. And I believe that one way to be the answer to this prayer is to persist in loyal, loving listening, especially in our hillside small groups, so that we can keep growing in Christ the easy way rather than the hard way. Does that make sense? Okay, that's the flyby of the Lord's Prayer. We've surveyed the substance. Now let's consider the style, which we find in verses 5 through 13. And with this, friends, we find our door to a whole new prayer world. Stay with me for this. Let's read. And Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he'll not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he'll rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, if this passage does not crack us up, we've not had enough Turkish coffee this morning. We need a second cup. What does Jesus do here? He paints two pictures, both utterly preposterous. And first he says to his disciples, and he says to each one of us today by the Holy Spirit, he says, you know, imagine one night very late, you've just turned in, and this long lost friend raps on the door, and he's ready to spend the night. And because it's late, and because your teenagers have eaten all the bread that you baked that day, you're cleaned out. So what do you do? You do immediately what anybody would do in that situation. You go to your next door neighbor, and you ask for three loaves. Now, Imagine your neighbor responds, gosh, I am so sorry. I just can't. You see, the door is locked and my kids are sleeping. I think you're going to have to go somewhere else. Bye-bye. Okay. Now, if we're the disciples hearing this, we're busting up. But to understand why, we got to fill in the picture a little bit. First of all, first century homes were tiny. 
They were one room most of the time, certainly one floor. And this means that if the neighbor is giving this spiel to the breadless host, his kids are already awake. They are not going to be any more disturbed by their dad getting the bread. And second of all, and even more important, to provide food for a guest was a sacred obligation. In fact, the whole village's honor hinged on hospitality. So even if the kids are asleep, wake them up if necessary. Because feeding a guest, which was, again, a whole village responsibility, was about a zillion times more important. And to get just kind of a feel for the total lameness of this excuse, imagine this, men. Imagine you head over to a friend's house in the middle of the night, and you say this, buddy, my wife's about to give birth, and the car won't start. And I got to get her to John Muir. Can I borrow your car? And imagine your friend responds this way. Gosh, I'd love to help. I really would. But I left the keys in the kid's room. And they're playing Minecraft. And I really don't want to disturb them. And then Jesus hammers home his point. He says, guys, even though your neighbor is a selfish toad, <laughs> because he doesn't want the whole village to know he's a selfish toad, that's the reference to impudence in verse 8, he's going to give you your bread, isn't he? And you know it. And then before the disciples can stop laughing, he paints another preposterous picture. He says, imagine Jesus says, your five-year-old comes to you and says, daddy, I'm hungry can I have some fish sticks? And imagine you reply, oh, you're hungry? How about a snake, right? <laughs> that would be outrageous. It would be appalling. It would be nearly unbelievable unless you are Dr. Evil, right? <laughs> and actually not even then, because as Jesus says, even evil dads... <laughs> generally give good to their children. And then Jesus then completes this point. He says, guys, if you being as flawed as you are, irritable, obstinate, clueless, boneheaded, always leaving the ice cream scoop in the sink for somebody else to clean, if you being all those things, you still know how to give good to your children and you do, how much more will your heavenly father, who is none of those things, give good to you when you ask. And his point, obviously, is as large as a pyramid. Pray big. Pray with exuberance. Pray often. Because though our Heavenly Father, though awesome in burning glory, is generous. And I want you to hear this. You know, if we, like an ancient Egyptian artisan, if we engrave this picture of God into our minds, making, if what, making it what we see when we pray that God's name would be hallowed, when we bring to him the most personal and basic needs in our own hearts, when we pray for our own cleansing and forgiveness, and when we pray to be spared of tests, you know what will happen? We will pass into a whole new world of prayer. Verses 5 through 13 
and that picture of God are that door. And to put it more plainly, when we take into our hearts the astonishing truth that because of the eternally generous heart of the one true God, everyone who asks receives. His burning holiness, his fearsome splendor notwithstanding, we will pray with new daring. We will pray with new exuberance. We will pray with new expectation. Rather than dreading prayer, we will desire it. Rather than running from prayer, we'll revel in it. We'll look for times to stand before God, our awesome God, and ask. And rather than snakes or scorpions, we will expect good to come back because that's how the one true God, the only God who exists, the Father, Son, and Spirit God, rolls. And sometimes that good will be so obvious, other times less so. But when we pray, when we ask, we can count on some kind of good being cast back at us, even if it's the mere good of being spared something that we desperately want, but which God knows will wreck us. What's more, Jesus says in the very last verse, the least good that we can expect, the least good that we can expect which in reality is the best good that he can give, is refillings of his own self, his own spirit, his own personal empowering presence, the down payment of an eternal inheritance that is more wondrous than we could ever imagine. That's the least good. Sometime this week, someone in your orbit, could be somebody in your household, could be one of your children, could be a grandchild, could be your grandparent. Somebody in your orbit is going to face a big challenge. Someone's going to get a bad grade. Someone's going to run into serious relationship trouble. Someone is going to melt with fear about something, and maybe that someone will be us. And let me tell you, at first, we are not going to want to pray. We're not going to want to. We won't be in the mood, but then here's what I encourage us all to do. We're going to replay verses 5 through 13 in our minds. And we're going to remember the picture of the true God that Jesus used two brilliant comic sketches to paint for us. That because of the one true God's limitless generosity for his children, everyone who asks receives. And then having re-walked through that door, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray exuberantly. We're going to pray expectantly. We're going to pray daringly for our daily bread, whatever that bread might be. And then we're going to set a watch. And we're going to see what kind of good boomerangs right back at us. Why can God be like this? Why can God be like this? What allows him to be so generous? He's a God of burning holiness. Why can he be so generous with us, hearing our prayers, meaningfully engaging with us and responding to our prayers? He can do this because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And for us who have accepted that forgiveness and aligned ourselves with the Son, there is no longer any enmity between us and God. None. Rather, there's peace. There's friendship. 
There's partnership in God's purposes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for how you made Luke 11, 1 through 13, a door for me this week into a new world of prayer. And I thank you for the fun of prayer over these last few days, for the joy of flinging dreams and desires and personal needs to you. And then waiting to see what good flies back from your generous hand. And I pray for my friends here, my fellow amazing racers, my fellow disciples, that as they press on in their journeys to Jerusalem, that you would remind them of this funny story that your son painted of grumpy neighbors and snake-serving fathers to set in bold relief your astonishing generosity. And Lord, I pray that electrified by that vision, we would all engage you this week daringly, exuberantly, expectantly. I pray, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Let's sing together. Sometimes hallelujah. Sometimes praise the Lord. Sometimes gently singing. Our Lift our voices Look toward the sky And start to sing Oh, let us now Return His love Just let our voices In a situation, um, would we like to move out again? Yeah. Well, okay, let's pray. First of all, has somebody called 911? Yes, okay, so nobody else has to do that. We know that's been done. Let's great. All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you are right here. You're a God who's near in the joyful times and the times of fear and the times of stress. And this is one of those right now. We come to you with a picture in our minds of your remarkable generosity and benevolence towards us. And we ask that you would help our dear brother, Jerry. Help him, restore him, heal him, be near him and raise him up. We pray this with calm confidence and great expectation that you're hearing us and that you're going to respond. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I think what we're going to do is we will be dismissed at this point. 
Uh, we're just gonna, if you would just meet me out in the light lounge, I have one more thing I wanna bring to you, and then uh, we'll close uh, the service, okay? So you're dismissed. Beat you right out in the light lounge for a quick message.